0: I want to start this episode by giving a massive shout-out to everyone that's supported me whilst I've been doing this weird little experiment. I'm having a lot of fun making this podcast, and it's been a real education having to think constantly and obsessively about writing, recording, editing, uploading, downloading, promoting, marketing, worrying, crying, analytic, refreshing, and, well, generally, ignoring people's suggestions and ideas. I'm truly lucky to have so many wonderful people in my life, and I'm sure I've annoyed the hell out of my friends. But some of them have been good enough to listen to the end of each episode, so I don't think you can ask for more than that. Speaking of my friends, if you want to hear what some of them sound like, and especially what they witter on about when they've had a little bit too much to drink, why don't you join me on my other podcast, Things We Think We Know When We're Drunk. It's a very light-hearted chat about what's in, what's out, what's hot, what's not, what's up, what's down, as well as taking a swipe at the week's news and the people in it. Recorded every Friday when we've had a few sherbets, and released every Saturday before we've properly sobered up and had time to remove any incriminating evidence. Things we think we know when we're drunk, available on all platforms. And speaking of evidence... On a hot summer's day in 1978, my best friend, ten-year-old Simon Delderfield vanished into thin air whilst on a school trip to Whipsnade Zoo in Bedfordshire. Wearing my borrowed Star Wars sweatshirt, Simon ran off after a seemingly innocent game of kiss chase went wrong and hasn't been seen since. It has become one of the most baffling disappearances ever join me on my other podcast as I sift through the evidence, talk to our old school friends, piece together the events of the day and try and figure out what did happen to that ruddy sweatshirt. My dad was furious. And speaking of my dad, join me on my other podcast when a couple of friends and I watch an old video I found in the garage that he made on that knackered Sydney cam he picked up at a car boot sale. Not sure the footage was ever meant to see the light of day, but now it has, so tune in to hear us discuss the time my mum made a porno. And talking of my mum, join she and me on my other podcast as we witheringly drag her Facebook friends through the mud and offer them completely unsolicited opinion and relationship advice. And speaking of drag, join me on my other podcast and listen to me and drag queen Fanny Aplenty hilariously recap the newest episode of the latest iteration in the stable, Chechnya's Drag Race. And speaking of race, join me on my other podcast where I dissect the ultimate book on race and put Hitler's Mein Kampf through a 21st century lens to see which parts should now be considered problematic. And speaking of considered, none of this was.
1: Subjects of this week's programme are veteran entertainers Mary Jane and Audrey Orson. Born in London before the Second World War at roughly the same time, because they were, and indeed are, twins. Child stars of the variety stage in the 40s and elevated to the silver screen in the 50s, appearing as separated twins in To Set a Parent Trap. Then in the late fifties television hit comedy, Lesser Than Few, playing the same role of Tippy Turner on alternate weeks. But the cracks were starting to show in their relationship, and Audrey accused the producers of favouritism. Mary Jane finally took on the role permanently. In their teens, they tried to cling on to stardom and briefly became the darlings of a revitalised post-war tourism boom in a series of semi-promotional overseas capers, the Passport series, delighting audiences as twins with Passport to Persia, Passport to Prussia, Mischief in Mesopotamia and Silly in Siam. The sixties saw them move into a more adult arena, playing twin murderesses in Wilfred Spatchcock's 1963 terror, Double Indignity. That final film is steeped in notoriety, with reports of arguments, on-set fighting, heavy drinking, wild parties, awful dancing, and led to the twins' now legendary fallout. After the film premiered to a lukewarm audience and critical reception, the twins attempted to sue each other in court, citing each other for ruining their respective careers. Audrey Orson disappeared from the public eye for more than two years, sparking fears in the tabloid newspapers of addiction and alcoholism, until she was found to be living on a commune just outside the English town of Billerickie and having adopted a ridiculous English accent. Mary Jane Orson went on to become a best-selling children's author, writing novels about her plucky set of twins on exotic capers, and Audrey inadvertently started a range of bohemian fashion after drunkenly putting her cardigan on backwards. They have agreed to meet for this interview. They have not spoken for fifty years. They, They have spoken, just not to each other, I mean.
2: We had a secret language, like a lot of twins, I think, which would infuriate our parents, other cast members. that zip-zorp-dip-dorp thing. It infuriated me, too. Oh, Audrey, you're so purposefully obtuse. You loved it. In fact, it was your idea. It was a joke. I can't believe you fell for it. To be honest, I didn't understand what you were trying to tell me most of the time.
1: Tell us about those early years, how you got started.
2: Mary Jane always likes to tell a funny story about how we met, but as we're twins, you can probably guess what it is. I was five years old. People thought it was cute. Once. It was funny once.
1: More than that. At least twice. You got to travel an inordinate amount at the very early days of mass tourism. We have
2: visited some very exciting places and it was a long time before we were worried about things like the environment. We weren't really thinking about our global skid mark. We were just 16-year-old girls, and it was a thrill to be able to show people part of the world through our movies that they might never get to see. And, of course, now they can't. Audrey, on the other hand... I hated the travelling. I hate the sun. I let Mary Jane do her own thing. Well, she was out staring at the banks of the Babylon... I was entertaining myself in other ways. I took the term room service quite literally. It's fair to say that the fall of Ardery's bloomers happened at the same time as the fall of the Prussian Empire. Mary Jane was always very jealous of the attention I received.
1: Let's talk about lesser than few.
2: I think the role of Tippi was the role that actually cemented us in cultural history. It's a shame that the thing that brought us together was actually the thing that started to tear us apart. Pure favoritism. I think that producer was in love with you. Oh, well, I like to think it's because I was professional. So I got drunk and did a little coke at a birthday party. So what? Our ninth birthday party.
1: Audrey, how many episodes were you actually in?
2: Of the uh, 66 episodes, I'd say probably about 20, closer to 10. It's very easy to check. It's true, people couldn't tell us apart, so you'll always know when I am playing tippy because I would leave an extra button undone on my cardigan, and turn down my left bobby sock. There's a whole area of the dark web attributed to it. That's just disgusting. Oh, Zip Zorp. <laughs> well, you can just dapple dooby flat flidget. Drank Zipple. Show untwinkle on Twinkle Flab
1: Working with Master of Terror Wilfred Spatchcock must have felt like a surefire success.
2: I found Spatch to be very distracted. I I found it hard working with him. His reputation as a misogynist was quite true. He didn't really treat me very well. I, on the other hand, got on fine with Spatch. But then, he always did prefer blondes. You didn't have blonde hair, that's what you think.
1: Mary Jane, your books are hugely popular with twins around the world.
2: I think I have something to say about being a twin, Uh, but I think I'm writing about the childhood I wanted rather than the childhood I had. Looking at the world through rose colored glasses. As opposed to looking at the world through a glass of rosé. It's actually quite good for you.
1: And your fashion line has been considered inspirational, Audrey? Some call it inspirational. Others call it art,
2: a movement. Some call it a cult. Some call it forgetting how to get a sweater on when you're drunk.
1: You both have been and are and continue to be very successful. Why aren't you happy? The truth? The truth
2: is, uh, I miss my sister. Really? Well, I miss my sister too.
1: So, is this a reconciliation?
2: What? Oh, no, 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 not this sister. Oh, no, 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 our youngest sister, Isabel. Oh, <laughs> um, she disowned us when she was four, This bitch can rot in hell. Absolutely, this rancid whore can fall off a cliff.
0: And now on House of Daft, that woman from Masterchef reviews pornography.
2: Ten new participants are ready to face a gruelling afternoon in the kitchen. Today's cookery students are a leggy blonde, an oversized brunette, and five full grown men in ill fitting uniforms. Two actors pretend to be chefs Pawn Stalwart, Ben Down, and Mindy Moore, best known for her role in Schindler's Tits. Ben and Mindy's first job is to suggestively manhandle phallic vegetables. That's vegetables that are shaped like penises. After sucking the dirt off a carrot, Mindy explains she's not called Head Chef for nothing. Ben's first job is to remove Mindy's breasts from their wrapping and massage oil into them. The cookery students are encouraged to prepare themselves for service. Judy gets to work on Kevin, reaching for his bag and fondling his contents. Judy uses two hands to remove the items. If she's not careful, she's going to have difficulty with portion control. On the other side of the counter, Johnny is inspecting Judy's baps. He jiggles them like dough balls and makes a dreadful joke about using them to wrap his hot dog. Chef in training, Matt, removes the packaging and inspects Tyler's rear kneading the flesh and moistening the rump. Tyler's produce spills out the front and it is obvious that something is leaking. With his free hand Kevin assists in pounding Tyler's meat. Novice Jesse is without a partner so Ben and Mindy invite her over to their service area. Jessie puts on a good spread and Mindy compliments her nice clean area. On the other side of the kitchen service is now in full swing. Newcomer Dave can't decide on his side dish and in the end plumps for a cucumber surprise. Judy decides to taste test it for him. But I can't help thinking that as she's also being attended to by Johnny and Kevin, she's a little overstretched. As service continues, all 10 participants are in the thick of it. Ben shouts orders from the kitchen as he's having difficulty bringing all the participants together. Everyone comes to the front of the class and take turns sampling Ben and Mindy's wares, with Ben's chorizo being particularly popular. With servicing almost over, Matt, Dave and Tyler are each attempting to whip up a frothy meringue Tyler's is the messiest. It is also the one enjoyed by everyone else. I'm personally disappointed with the final result. I've decided I wouldn't want to eat in this kitchen. I'm not sure the vegetables were washed properly and not one person was wearing a hairnet.